When you hear the phrase first-gen-American, what comes to mind? Oscar Velasquez, a first-generation American, wants to enlighten your mind to everyday life as a first-gen in today's America. There is a perception in today's society, and Oscar is going to dive in and dissect the reality of being a first-gen. Join Oscar and his guests from all walks of life, discussing their trial and tribulations in today's America. Now your host, Oscar Velasquez. Hey guys, you're listening to First Gen American. I'm your host, Oscar Velasquez. First off, I want to give a special thanks to everybody that supported me. A huge, huge thanks, especially the national community and beyond. Uh, today's guest, we have Manny Espedia, uh, a local state representative for Ward 4. Amazing individual, Mexican descent. Uh, his parents are, and himself, born and raised in California. I've actually met Manny uh, back in 2016 when he was running, when he was helping with the Hillary campaign. Uh, he's done a lot of great community work and, and connecting with people within the community. And what an amazing guest to have. First off, we have Manny Ramirez from as a co-host from Positive Street Art, creative director and a good friend of mine. Does amazing work within the community and the arts uh, venture here. Let's uh, let's bring in Manny. Hey, <laughs> what's you got, up? Man? You got Manny and Manny. What's Manny and Manny. <laughs> Aspedia and Ramirez. Guys, this is it. First Gen American, man. I'm super excited. Well, I'm re- super excited. I'm really excited. I just wanted to say, like, thank you, Oscar, for, like, you know, putting this together. Um, Absolutely, I, man. I think, I think, you know, speaking for myself and the community, like, we were we were incredibly distraught by you know some of the events that happened or like right below the steps and yeah. so for us like that's not the community that we are yeah. and that we need to make sure that our voices are heard and so for you to put this show together it's incredible um Thanks, i'm excited and i want to and also thank the community for for supporting you and having your back for this thanks man i appreciate that um you know in situations we unite and conquer yeah, and yeah. that's exactly what happened. And it couldn't have been done with, with people believing in uh, a change in the, the transition of this platform. Man. That's what they say, el, el pueblo unido, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we're doing it in Spanish, too. So we're yeah. going to do it in Spanish. Um, dude, you you do a lot of great, amazing work within our community. Tell us a little bit about your background. You came from California, mm-hmm. uh, immigrant parents. How was that like? Tell me a little bit about your parents. So... First off, I was uh, born and raised in uh, Santa Ana, California, which Santa Ana is a city of about 360,000 people and about 80% of it is uh, Hispanic, Latino. And basically about 75% of that is Mexican. So like, you know, growing up, uh, it was no surprise that most of our most of my classmates looked like me. Um, it, and it was, you know, it was great. Um, most of my like all of my family members lived close by and. I had a big Mexican family with both my mom has eight, uh, sorry, nine brothers and sisters. My dad has eight brothers and sisters. So it's like, you know, a big family. Um, So I got, I only have one little brother, but um, I have about like 50 cousins. So (laughs) (laughs) like, you know, we, for us growing up was, uh, family was everything. Um, And so, and that was a value that my parents instilled in me is to always, you know, watch out for your family and always support each other. Um, and you know, they also instilled that value of hard work. Both of them came here in the seventies and eighties. Um, and neither of them, um, you know, came here with the, like, you know, speaking English, they both learned it. Um, and, uh, they both also had to drop out from high school so that they could support their families. Um, so like, you know, most people talk about being the first kid to go to college. I was the first kid to finish high school in the family. Um, and so, um, you know, being able to to use that hard work of getting through, of being able to get through like, you know, high school and then also moving on to um, to an Ivy League institution of going to Princeton was a big, like, you know, it was a big deal. Right. Um, and being one of the only ones in my community um, to be able to do that was also something that like, you know, kept, keeps that fire going. <laughs> Admirable, man. Tell me a, bit, a little bit about the struggles that you remember when your parents first arrived to the United States. Yeah, I mean, it's like I said, they both uh, they both had to work to support their families. Um, 
they both, I remember my dad told me, telling me he had his first job at like, you know, 13, washing dishes in a restaurant, like, and helping his dad close. Um, and they both, you know, they, they, they both had to do what they had to do to take care of, like, you know, whether my mom was babysitting her, her nephews and nieces and my, or my dad just having to support his other brothers and sisters. Like it was, it was a struggle. Um, and so for me growing up, like they, they instilled that, like, you got to go to school. You have to, like, you got to get ahead because you, we want you to have a better life than we did. Um, which I think like, and that, that transcends like just everybody, like every culture, like everyone wants to have a better life for their kids. I think for, especially for the immigrant community, it's a lot harder because there are a lot more barriers in place, not mm-hmm. just the language, but, um, you know, there is a certain amount of like discrimination just right. that immigrants get. Um, and so, and my parents are not, uh, immune to that. So right. they, you know, they faced it, um, but they, you know, they we're also like, you know, as Latinos, like we we keep our heads down and we just keep going because that's what we have to do. So, um, I mean, that's something else that they they taught me is, you know, they got taught me like, you know, you got to stay humble and just got to keep working. How uh, that that image of your parents, you know, migrating over here. Mm-hmm. How does that impact your life? Oh, I mean, like, you know, I, it, I like I look at like immigrants and, and like Latino immigrants and I like I see my family like literally right. like it's hard not to like it, put that into perspective and see like you know like if if I ever feel like I'm like slacking off I just think about it I'm like dude I, I would feel so bad about right. you know how much work my parents like put into this so um, you can't take anything for granted and so, uh, like as uh, a, 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 a son of or a daughter of an immigrant like you just you know that if you like if I, the way I made it to where I am, like there were so few opportunities to mess up right. that like you just have to keep like you just got to keep working. And uh, so I, you know, every like every time I think about my parents, I'm like, all right, like I like if it wasn't for their struggle, I wouldn't be where I am right now. It's true with uh, with a lot of mm-hmm. us as, as first gens, we uh, we have this sense of obligation that we have to, you know, that that we can't let our parents' struggle go to waste, you know, and that sacrifice. I can remember my mom, you know, coming home super tired from working at uh, Burger King back in Brooklyn, just working on that grill and uh, that sacrifice. So I, you know, I, I didn't know how good I had it until I became older and, underst- and understood the struggles of of today's America, especially, you know, like, one moment you're here, you're, you've sacrificed, you've left everything behind. You've sacrificed everything to, to, you've left your, everything that you know behind to come to America. And then all of a sudden, uh, worry, just to give your family members, the next generation, a little bit of a better life, but yet stepping into the unknown. And also, um, the big sacrifice of, you know, will I ever see another day in America? Yeah. And I think like, both Oscar and Manny, like you both know, like, or at least for me, like I never felt like we were working class. Like, right. like my parents worked, like, and but my mom worked in uh, they did data entry at, in this warehouse company, and my my dad was working in the warehouse mm-hmm. uh, doing receiving. But like, you know, they made ends meet, they made it work. Yeah. But like my parents, at least, like I never felt like like poor. I never felt like like I never felt like I didn't have what I needed. Right. I always felt like my parents made me feel like like they were providing for me, like no matter what, like if they like and they and like you know, they would tell you they're like oh like I was like don't get that gum that's that's your birth that's your Christmas present if you get that like just <laughs> yeah. messing around but like um but like you know that they they worked their butts off so they could do like get us whatever we wanted and like Absolutely. you don't realize that when you're a kid but like you know as you grow up and you start seeing it, you're like wow like my parents really like you know they work their tails off just so they can like to provide me with whatever i want and i didn't see you know you don't see that as sacrificio yeah there you go. sacrificio for sure you know go, going at going back you know growing up in california and having that sense of latin community um did you ever feel that at home you had to speak spanish and in school did you have to speak english mm-hmm. Um, was that instilled in you as as young, just to kind of have the best of both worlds? So yeah, that's a good uh, that's a good question because I think 
you know, I grew up speaking Spanish mm-hmm. because like that was one of the few ways I could, I mean, that was the way I had to communicate with my aunt and like my aunt, my uncles and like, and my grandparents. Um, but I, I know there are a lot of other people that look like me and uh, who are Latino who like don't grow up speaking Spanish because they're, um, they're in a sense like punished for it. Mm-hmm. They're like, they're told, oh, if you don't like, if you speak Spanish, you're going to be like the, the parents don't tell you, but like they'll, they're, they're, they're scared of like the repercussions of being discriminated against. So they don't like, they tell, they try to teach their kids not to speak Spanish. Um, but, um, you know, I was lucky and blessed that I am bilingual and I still like, you know, I can still speak Spanish, um, and I'm fluent in it, but it's, you know, it's something that I like, you know, I think it, it's, it's terrible that we think, you know, a, that like, you know, that people who speak other languages or grow up speaking another language, like that they get discriminated against and B that we like would penalize people who grew up from different cultures and didn't speak Spanish. And that makes them any less of a Latino. Like I know, um, I know people who, yeah, who didn't grow up speaking Spanish because of that fear and like right. they never learned it and they like wish and they, and their parents regret not teaching it to them. So we all have that one family member yeah, that doesn't speak Spanish yeah. and uh, their approach to the family is a little different because they kind of feel a little disconnect. Mm-hmm. Um, g- growing up at home. What, what was the what was your favorite dish? What, and, oh, and what type of music did you listen to? Because I knew at, at the beginning when I was growing up, I, I listened to rap and, and hip hop back in Brooklyn. That was huge, you know, uh, in that era and in the early 90s. And um, I always had the best of both worlds, but. My parents didn't like me listening to rap. What did you like? Yeah, I mean, what did I, you grow up listening to? I also listen to rap and hip hop too. <laughs> I like, you know, I love Tupac growing up. Yeah. Loved like Dr. Dre and like especially growing up the West Coast. So like you yeah. got that West Coast rap. Mm-hmm. But uh, for me, I think I like, you know, my parents would also play like Pedro Aguilar. Yeah. They play like uh, Los Tigres del Norte, yeah. which are like banda norteña. So like a lot of like traditional Mexican mm-hmm. music. Um, Juan Gabriel. Juan Gabriel. Yeah. Um, so... Um, like Pepe Aguilar too. So yeah, like, yeah. you know, my parents, my parents got down. Yeah, yeah. Um, but like, and then in terms of food, my favorite dish that my mom makes and she makes some of the best are enchiladas. Um, so which are now, I think just like universal. A lot of people are like, oh, enchiladas, that's my favorite thing. Yeah. Like in Mexican spots. So um, like my mom makes some bomb enchiladas and then also nice. her rice is to die for. And there are very few places that have made that rice as good as my mom. So, <laughs> you know, having, having a few Mexican restaurants here in, in our community in Nashville, what do you, what do you think that it's the one that is similar <laughs> to the one at home and oh, not, man. not dissing anybody, <laughs> you know, not saying that they're not authentic or anything, yeah. but which one is the one that's closest to home for my you? My favorite. That's a good question. Um, that's, I mean, that's a tough answer too. Cause <laughs> I mean, you know what's funny is like I love California burrito, and yeah. like I know it was Raul Cabrera who's like the owner. Shout out um, to Raul. Raul, the man who's like holding it down. Yeah. Um, but he, so he's a he's uh Honduran, I believe. Yeah. And like so he um, like he's not even Mexican, right? But like he makes some bomb. Like his food's delicious. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Um, his tacos are really good, so shout out to him. <laughs> and even and the other thing is like so we had a or sorry, I think he's Salvadorian, my bad. Yeah. Um. But um, the one thing that they have that's, like, one of my favorites are pupusas. Oh, yeah. And I love pupusas. And, like, we have a strong – we do have a strong Salvadorian mm-hmm. population in Southern California. So, like, we used to go to a place, La Flor Blanca, in yeah. Garden Grove. Uh, okay. <laughs> and we would, like – and their pupusas were bomb. And, like, those pupusas are just like the ones that, like, California burrito. So, like, if y'all ever go to California burrito, check out their pupusas. They're delicious. <laughs> when, I, when I first heard of pupusas for the first time, I thought, you know, I'm, I'm Ecuadorian. I thought it was something completely different. I thought it was seafood because you hear pupusa, you know? Pulpo. Pulpo, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Pulpo. Um, So I always thought, but now that it's, I believe this tortillas, um, shredded, shredded pork. Yeah, I and mean, cheese. It's it's um it's the masa, so it's like masa. that. Yeah, so they use that flour, that dough flour that we uh that we make from maize, uh, from corn. So and it's like absolutely delicious. Y'all should have it. <laughs> Dope, man. Dope. Uh, California burrito. Shout out to Raul. Yep. In your opinion, you know, what, what are the pros and cons about growing up with a, uh, with a family and, and that migrated here? So, 
like I said, that sense of community, that sense of family. Mm-hmm. Um, most immigrant communities, like they stay, they stay together. Um, like you know, I, I think I'm like the black sheep of the family who like you know left California and now lives in New Hampshire. <laughs> so I'm like, <laughs> and I and I am the only one out here in my family. But uh, uh, because yeah, everyone sticks together because there is that like you know that fear of being isolated and what happens to you after that because you have no like. Having that family is that social, um, that's that that safety net. So no matter what, like you know, they have your back, um, and they'll like you know, if you have money issues or like you have like you're trying to you know figure out like something like a recommendation for something, they'll be able to help you out. Mm-hmm. I mean, the cons are obviously like you know, um, mm-hmm. like not within the direct community, but outside of it, there is a little bit of anta- antagonism um, towards the community. There's like. You know, there there is sentiment of like, oh, why don't they learn English or like, well, right. why, are, like they they're like, you know, you stand, you see people standing on the corner like looking for work, like like doing like you know physical work, and they're like, oh, they look lazy or whatever, and so it's just, and like I feel like there's yeah, there's an antagonism that goes on in our community that is just a byproduct of ignorance, and people don't know our stories or they don't know the struggles that we're going through. So, um, I mean, that's that's a whole and. And I feel like the other big con of growing up in an immigrant family is there is that there is that mixed status uh, family. Like I'm very lucky that my parents are both like naturalized citizens, mm-hmm. and therefore, I, and I have citizenship through them. Mm-hmm. But I like you know I have family members who are undocumented, um, and so you know you have that like that level of okay, we try to like we want to make sure we we support you, but we got to be careful like. Right. Not to like throw you out there because if we do, like there is that it's gonna risk. Open up. Yeah, it's gonna open up a whole new avenue to, uh, and I feel like a, a lot. I feel like that's the involvement within our community now. It's just trying to connect mm-hmm. with our community, you know, in politics and and them not having that fear of saying, "Well, I mean, I'd rather stay under the radar and not cause any alarm to." kind of further investigate my background and I might have an undocumented family member that lives with me and then all of a sudden try to investigate and and all that but mm-hmm. how do you feel about some of the cultures getting lost within larger communities and, and cultures in America so I mean that's that's a great question because I think like assimilation like it is this is what what's what happens especially like if you're in a place that has that's a lot less diverse, so um, you start to lose a little bit more of your culture. So like if you're surrounded and you have somewhat of a, like a larger like population, like it's easier to like you know keep those cultures, keep those customs. Like you can have storefronts in Spanish, and like no one's like everyone's like oh, whatever. Like I think so when you get to like you know smaller populations, it's 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 tougher to hold on to your culture without having to sacrifice a lot of it. And that's always something, you know, we always deal with is how much are we willing to give up? And that's an internal struggle that I hope does not keep you guys up at night. Uh, but like there's part of me that I'm just like, you know, I think about it and I'm just like, geez, like how much, yeah, how much do we have to sacrifice so that people, so that we're quote unquote accepted by society? So, um, I mean, I'm hoping that we try not to do too much, too much giving in order to get accepted. You know, growing up, our usually our parents have this already set path for us. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they have this mindset that you should become a doctor or a lawyer. <laughs> um, going into that, what led you to the path of politics? So those are the two careers my parents told me I should do. Um, oh. I went into college trying to, like, as pre-med, I realized I, like, chem was going to be the end of me. So I was like, you know what? Maybe I, I'm not going to do pre-med. Um I tried, uh, I was like, you know, working at a law firm in 2011 um, and 2012. And then like, I was like, I was ready. I was like planning on going to law school. Like that was the next thing. Mm-hmm. But uh, one of my, one of my best friends, his name is also Manny. Uh, he Manny Perez uh, from Chicago. Shout out to him. Uh, he like, you know, he, he called me up and asked me, he's like, Hey bro, do you want to work? Do you want to help out on the Obama campaign? And, and his reelection in New Mexico, 
and you know i was like i've I've always my parents were always like you know like not active in politics Mm -hmm. but like participants but they're active watchers Mm -hmm. and you know you you listen to the morning shows so like um and so you hear you hear about what's going on i remember um november 2000 my birthday was november 7th which was the election and like i remember like the election not being called for like two weeks and it was like man what is this thing gonna be called <laughs> um but like my parents would always vote like that's one thing they would always do they were never active in it but they would always do it was they you know they took me to some polling like to, to go vote with them sometimes but like i think so i'd always watch but i never actually did anything until like you know yeah my after i graduated from college yeah, he called me and I was like, you know what? Let's do it. Um, packed up my stuff. One week later, I was in Albuquerque, New Mexico, learning how to f- make phone calls and knock on doors and and just be like a you know an organizer, so to speak. Um, and I just caught like like in our community, we say we we caught the bug, and yeah. like I just was like, you know what? This is what I want to do. I see like um, especially uh, like in Albuquerque, like you know it's a primarily Hispanic, Native American town, and like. And uh, and also like you have smaller populations like African American. This is a really it's a really amazing city. Um, but just going out there and knocking on doors and talking to people, I just realized like my experiences are not as unique as I think they are. I think you know working class people in America are just trying to make it, and so I want to make like help support them by electing people who I think are in their best interests, so to speak. So yeah, I just kept doing it. I did it in. 2012 my parents were my parents to this day still tell me it's like when are you gonna get a real job so (laughs) like there you go about politics and and like the latino community like i think uh, and i'm not the only one who like works in this community in this uh field that like gets gets told that either so um mijo what about you know becoming a doctor is (laughs) or like you can still go to law school my parents still tell me they're like you're still go to law school and i was like the guys, I'm 30. I don't think I, I think I'm I'm set. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so. speaking about uh, education, how was it like uh, being a Latino in a public school in California? Um, well, like I said, it wasn't it wasn't too different because yeah. everyone else was Latino, so mm-hmm. like it just felt like normal. Uh, so like I, I I find it like you know I can't sympathize with the people who like you know who are um, who do go to these mixed schools with a lot of like other people a lot of other cultures um and like it's funny because i never felt that my identity was that important to me yeah like my latino identity because i just everyone else was so i just felt so normal um it wasn't until i was put into a space where i stuck out that like suddenly i was like you know what i'm very proud to be latino and i'm very proud to have grown up like the like the, as a child of an immigrant so like because they just like it's so like it's something that I just you just start becoming more guarded of and like more like protective of um, because people try to throw you like under because of it. Truly interesting on that because I, I did feel that back in Brooklyn, you know, mm-hmm. I had a community I grew up in Bushwick and we had it was a melting pot, mm-hmm. you know, of all cultures that were that were prideful where you had flags. We had parades every single day from each country, you know, the Puerto Rican parade and the Dominican parade, the Ecuadorian parade. And it was, it was, I never felt like I didn't belong. And yeah. if, if anything, it, it, it was more enticing and more inviting, you know, mm-hmm. um, at that point, like I, I never thought about politics mm-hmm. until I came to Nashville, New Hampshire. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what? Are, what are some of the strides that you see as a Latino in in a Democratic Party? So, so I mean, first of all, we just had our convention, so that was a big thing. Yeah. We nominated Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. Really excited. I'm personally really excited about them. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of people who are. Um, and so, I think you know, working like within the Democratic Party, they I think they've worked hard. To like do a lot of outreach and get some really good people on the bench to like for elected leaders, I think we still have a lot of work to do. Um, I still think that like you know when we talk about the issues that we struggle with, I think a lot of people like um, want to just talk about immigration. But um, I mean, and also the Democrats have worked on this. They've they've talked. They said you know what like you know like it's we're not only worried about immigration a because most of us like for example my fiance is half Puerto Rican so like. 
immigration isn't relevant to her in a sense because she's a U.S. citizen. Right. Like, so for us, like, you know, what's bigger than immigration is also like healthcare, it's education, it's jobs. Um, it's making sure that like, and seeing it through our lens. Uh-huh. Um, so for example, we always talk about um, equal pay for women. And so, but for Latinas, it's actually, it's so for white women, it's it's 81 cents. Right. For Latinas, it's 50, it's like 50 cents. So, wow. and like, and, and also for, for black women, it's also like around, it's like 60 or 70. So it's also low. Um, so like it's putting that lens on it mm-hmm. and making sure like, you know, you're seeing it through those issues. So. Did you ever feel like you had to, you know, being involved in politics, did you ever feel like you had to water down your Latinoness? So that's a good <laughs> question. Uh, so part of me says like, like even in my name, mm-hmm. Manny, mm-hmm. um, changing from Manny to Manuel yeah. a little bit. Um, but I will also say like, there's a certain amount of authenticity that no matter, regardless of your race, uh, your background, whatever, like, like if you're not authentic, if you're not who you truly are, mm-hmm. um, people are going to see through the BS. Like they're going to see through it and they're going to be like, how can I trust you? Right. So I, in my opinion, it's like, you know, I always try to present, present myself as my true authentic self and like, this is who I am. Take it or leave it. Like, you know, I'm going to stand up for progressive values that are going to support, like, you know, working class people that are going to support, like, you know, raising the minimum wage and, and things like, and like getting paid parental leave, uh, paid family medical leave. And like, so things like issues like that. And like, that's who I am because right. I've, and I support these issues because of my lived experience. And my lived experience is not unique to me. It's like very universal to a lot of folks. Mm-hmm. So, you know, just being authentic and is the most important thing I could say to folks who are like, you know, like trying to ask the like, oh, I'm running as a as a non-white person. How should I present myself? And even right. as a white person, like you should always present yourself as the most authentic self to who you are. So, amen to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What did you feel within the Hispanic community, the Latin community? Did you feel a sense of like disconnect? Mm-hmm. Did you kind of did they kind of kind of back up and say, oh, here here comes another politician? Yeah, you know, here I, comes another politician. That, I mean, a little bit. Yeah. Um, Cause there's always, but there's always that distrust. Yeah, um, I don't even feel like it's Latino. I feel like it's New England too. Like you know, I feel like everyone can resonate with. Like they're like, I don't know you. Who are you? Yeah. But then like once you get to know people right. and once they get to see who you are, like mm-hmm. then you know they they treat you like family. Right, right. So um, and like just, so just going beyond just like Latinos and, and and like and even the like New England, it's like yeah, you got to build that trust. You got to work for right. it. You don't want to just show up and be like, all right, who are you? Like, you want to be there. You want to be present in the community. Mm-hmm. So um, for me, it was like, you know, when I worked, worked for the mayor, it was like showing up to things and being mm-hmm. there for him. And then now it's a state rep. You know, it's harder because mm-hmm. like, you know, COVID has changed the whole landscape on how we campaign. Like before I've been able to go to go to events and be able to be present. And like now, you know, like there's nothing to go. I can't go to anything. Uh, and like, so it's 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 tough but like you got to build that trust um because otherwise you know it's like it's like if you show if if you just asked your some random person for like 100 bucks and you're like yo can i have 100 bucks they're like who are you i don't even know you (laughs) so like versus you know if you if you actually you have to get to know somebody first i've heard about you yeah yeah you're doing a lot of great things i um when i was when we first uh when we first opened agave sue I, we got involved, Manny, the Demiro, and I used to live mm-hmm. upstairs. And through through that gateway, you know, politicians, the first Hispanic restaurant in Main Street uh, to be able to reconnect. And there was a lot of politicians that started circling in mm-hmm. because they're like, oh, here's some uh, Latinos, you know, young men from mm-hmm. out of state connected with some young men that are doing something within our community. Mm-hmm. And they... The, it, let's let's get involved. Let's see what they're all about. And then other friends that other Latinos that had businesses, a barbershop on West mm-hmm. Hollis, West Hollis, La Farma, uh, La Farma, uh, Lilo, shout out to Lilo. Mm-hmm. But also um, major leagues. Mm-hmm. I remember when we had a politician that she was running for Ward Four, mm-hmm. um, and she was going door to door, and she was like, "Hey, Oscar, you know some friends that you can connect me with." I was, a, as a matter of fact, I know mm-hmm. the majority of of Hispanics that have businesses mm-hmm. here and I can connect you but 
they could they could be a little reserved because you know yeah. you only come around you know every two years for election you want to photoshop <laughs> you want a handshake and then promises that what about the person that needs mm-hmm. a parking right in front because parking is scarce on oh, Marsalis yeah. and uh, they need they have a fire not a fire hydrant but they have a no parking sign in front of their business with no fire Ooh. hydrant um, how do how can we how can we help them you know instead yeah. of just making false promises and. I remember I, I I went with the business owner to a city hall meeting and and he was shocked that it was um, that it was it was able to be possible to to get him a parking spot within just little things like that yeah. that just change the perspective like us as Hispanics where do you feel like that disconnect is I think it's just like you know they don't know how the system can work for them mm-hmm. and so there's like there's just that disconnect exists of, of, of never having access to it. Um, and I think, you know, with other people, they might have said, oh, just like call the mayor or like call your city or your ward alderman or whatever. And I feel like that, A, there's a certain distrust of like, oh, I didn't like, I didn't know you could do that. Um, um, and then there's a certain level of like, all right, so how can I like, like, how do I get to them? And so there's, yeah, so it's just, I feel like people don't know how to get to them. And I think that that's something that, A, the elected officials got to work on. Uh, and B, it's just something that um, we just, as a community, need to make sure that people know about that. Because, um, like, yeah, I'd always, I'd always tell people, like, if you ever need to reach me, for example, for anything, like, my cell phone is 714-742-9527. Like, feel free to blow me up whatever um because it's public too it's on the state uh state website so like my number and my email are out there um it's not like you know i'm trying to like hide from my constituents like <laughs> that's not a, that's not the a good public servant does not hide from the people that work to like that voted for them like a good public servant is there and will listen and will do whatever they can to like you know help and you know there's sometimes where you can't like end of the day you want to be able to help and you just you just can't like it might be outside of their 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 background or whatever but like just knowing that they even tried like is more is is the most important is like important too so you you live here Mm -hmm. you're a state rep for ward Mm four and you live in ward four oh yeah tell me a little bit about the national school system and raising a latino family in ward four so I'm I'm hoping that one day me and my fiance will a will get married, b have kids. Congratulations, and, by the way. <laughs> thank you. Um, but yeah, that we will like you know like get married, have kids here. Mm-hmm. Um, so for us, like like being like Nashville is a very diverse school system, um, and I think that's that's amazing, and that we have so many different cultures and groups of people from all over the world, um, and I think that also creates certain challenges that I don't, I don't even think challenges is the right words. It just creates a certain set of like, you know, different, like, you know, different ways of thinking about how, how education is run. So like, you know, there is ELL students that, that are going to need some extra help. Um, but like, I don't, don't, cause the word, and this is why I say, I, I try to challenge the word challenge is mm-hmm. like, it comes across as a burden, but it's not a burden. It's something that's going to add, different perspectives and enrich the education that we have here so if anything i think you know we just, we're just adding to that that spirit of community here so um yeah no i would be i would love to send my kids to school here like the public schools here and like you know i think it's just a matter of making sure they get the support that they need and i think you know covid has highlighted that different kids get different have different like needs yeah um i mean the other big thing is like you know with like virtual learning it's tough like you know what if you don't have like i didn't have like internet access until like until i was like you know like start like probably like like later into middle school and you know when you're being asked nowadays where you're like okay uh, you have to do this project, uh-huh. like, and you're gonna need to do some research, right. and like, you're gonna need to use like, like some kids, like I know, don't have computers. Yeah. So when COVID hit, like, how are they supposed to do the same work still? Yeah. Um, so it just it does present different, like, different opportunities for us to be like, all right, let's take a look at how we can make sure everyone has a laptop, how we can make sure everyone has internet access, um. Because we don't want to have anyone who's left behind, so to speak. So right. I, I I didn't have a computer or internet until high school. Yeah. And while everybody was going home, you know, with AIM, mm-hmm. uh, oh, <laughs> I'll chat you in AIM. Yeah. Um, I felt a disconnect. 
yeah. not only that, you know, touching back on the research, um, but I had parents that really didn't speak English or understood what the teachers were sending me. And that's real. So, that's so that was a disconnect there. So, you know, I mean, my parents, my parents were kind of embarrassed that they couldn't connect with the teacher. And all the notes that that for assignments that needed to get done were sent to me, mm-hmm. but because I didn't really had the opportunity to research or to kind of um, understand the subject, it's kind of left behind. And all of a sudden, they started saying, "Well, maybe you know, maybe maybe it's English for the second language. Mm-hmm. English is a second language for him." So I was born in Brooklyn, New York. English is my first language. You know, I feel like that's a missed opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you feel, you know, talking about community and talking about so diverse here in Nashua? Um, how do you feel about Latinos and the Black Lives Matter movement? And as as Latinos, do you feel that we need to help our brothers and sisters with more involvement? I mean, I think I think we should be helping because their our their struggle is our struggle. I mean, like I think when we look at police violence and we see the lack of accountability like that is an issue that is rampant all over our country like you know i i have a good relationship with the police chief here in nashua but i also you know i always want to push back like because i always want to like make sure we hold each other accountable just like you know if as an elected official i i need people to hold me accountable so if they need to tell me like I think your vote was wrong on this. I'm like, all right. Well, I appreciate you telling me that. Right. Um, I want to I make sure that there's accountability. And I think that's what a lot of the Black Lives Matter is like seeing that A, there's a lack of accountability. B, that this racism and discrimination in our country are rampant mm-hmm. and that they are, that we need to find solutions and we need to find ways to to end it. Um, and I think it, and it goes beyond, because it's A, it's a life or death matter. Um, for not just black people, for Latinos as well. Like, how many people have been, you know, shot and killed um, because they were something there was a miscommunication, um, and that and that all stems from this, like you know, this culture of fear and ignorance. Um, and so I, I mean, I stand with Black Lives Matter. I stand with their values, their mission, and I believe that we need to, as Latinos, uh, support them as well. Because, like I said, at the end of the day, our struggle is a shared struggle. Just like in the 1960s, uh, Martin Luther King and Cesar Chavez, like he was, Cesar, uh, Martin Luther King was acknowledging Cesar Chavez's struggle when he was organizing farm workers in in, the, in California. So, like, like I said, our struggles are all intertwined, mm-hmm. and so we need to work together to make sure that we can, like, you know, progress as a like as a community and as a country. So. That's powerful, and that's so true. And I feel sometimes it, it affects us directly in so many different ways, um, you know, with immigration and police violence. And, and like, and one last thing, like, and yeah. you guys both know, like, there is even racism towards like African Americans within the Latino community. Like, Absolutely, there, I mean, there are Absolutely. Like, there are white passing Latinos who like and vice who, versa who, who as can well. Get away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So and like, yeah. and there are a huge amount Afro Latinos. Like it's a real thing. Like as you know, as Dominicans, like, y- y'all, and like even Mexicans, like we have like, like there were there were slaves who came to our country, and so the African diaspora is real. Yeah. Um. And so for people to say like for us as Latinos, we have to hold ourselves accountable. Absolutely. And make sure that like you know even these off like off mark racist comments or like jokes, like we gotta be like yo, you know what? Like that's yeah. not all right. So tone it down. Yeah. Absolutely. That's real. Mm-hmm. How how do you feel about racism in the Latino population, and how does it affect the Nashua community? Yeah, I mean, um, I mean, I think it's it's still it's still visible. I think there are still times like we are a welcoming city. Mm-hmm. We are all working hard to make sure that it isn't like you know that we are cracking down on that and that people are like people are feeling welcome and invited into this community. But I mean, I think I think it still exists as as was seen, even though that person was not from Nashua. Like, mm-hmm. um, there are still people who believe that quote unquote diversity is a problem, um, and that's unfortunate. That's um, but when people, you know, like when people decide to take out violence and anger towards us, that's 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 when it becomes a real imminent problem, and so. 
you know, as we always talk about with the opioid crisis, prevention is a big part of like, you know, stopping this. I always think, you know, I think of racism as an illness, like we have to prevent it from ever happening. And so the way we do it is that we present ourselves yeah, as a welcoming community that we start with kids and ourselves and like teaching them that, hey, like, you know, discriminating against others because of their race, their gender, their religion, whatever it is, is not is never OK. Like, um so that's that's how I think we like while I'm like and I will say, though, like the reason I live in Nashville is because this is a welcoming community. I feel I feel great living here, mm-hmm. but um, which like I don't know. If, um, like, I, I think it's 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 something that we like just should continue to work on right. uh, as a community. So it never ends. It never. No, that truly doesn't. It never uh, ends. There's also a topic as Latinos that we don't like to discuss and. Some people call it inquietud. Mm-hmm. But have you ever had to deal with a family or friend that had to deal with mental illness? And and how do you feel about the stigma within our community? Yeah, I mean, oh man, I will tell you. I love like I love my parents to death, obviously. <laughs> but like if I told when I told them I like, A, like I have to go see like I wanted to go see a therapist, mm-hmm. they're like, Why? Like, mm-hmm. are you crazy? Like literally, like so and <laughs> and like when I told them this was in college, like that I had like I had depression, uh-huh. um, they were like, like, but why? So yeah. like, por qué? Like, so they always, I think there is that huge stigma uh-huh. of that of 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 um, of not of mental illness, of disabilities, of like you know if you have ADHD for example, it's like you know they. They're like, no, he's just like, he just acts that way because he does. Um, he'll grow I, out of it. Yeah, he'll grow out of it. Um, so I think that we as a community need to a, be more open about discussing mental illnesses and like men- mental health um, and that we need to take care of ourselves. I mean, we go through like the struggle of an immigrant is so traumatic. And so like to bottle that all in and to like hold it all inside like that, like only just leads to bigger problems. I mean, that's that is why people turn to alcohol, to to other ways, to to, tr- to substances, so that they can feel, um, so that they can kind of numb that down within yeah. themselves. So, I think mental health is something that is is truly an important issue to talk about within our community because, and like, a we should have the materials for it in Spanish and English. So, uh, but just making them aware, like it is, it is okay. To have like to 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 be different in that way too. Right. To feel what you feel. To and, feel what you feel. And and dig a little deeper to self evaluate. Yeah, I think it's important. We have that stoicism, exactly. that machismo. Yeah. That, like, you know, yeah. You, you took the like, words like, right out of my mouth. We don't want to like we don't want to show our emotions. Right. We we don't men don't cry sort of stuff. But th- like it's okay to cry. <laughs> I think that that I think that that energy that is instilled in us mm-hmm. as as young young kids, I feel like that disconnects us from our brothers and sisters mm-hmm. to be able to connect. If it wasn't for that ego, mm-hmm. you know, it, to, to be able to help one another, to, to rise together. Yeah. Um, you know, because fulano de tal, so-and-so is doing this <laughs> and, you know, and, but I want to do it this way. And well, go ask them, connect, mm-hmm. Yeah. set that ego aside. You know what I'm saying? I, I think that that's why as individuals, like all three of us, I mean, Manny, you're doing, an amazing job within mm-hmm. the community, connecting, bringing it to life with your vibrant colors and your artistic ways. Man, are you connecting with the community and, and, and the deep root of the issues that matter that some of us are afraid to approach because we just don't know what we don't know. Right. And and that's humbling to be able to, you're a phone call away yeah. and to say, Manny, I'm, I'm clogged artistically. Like, what should I do? You know, to that, I feel like more of us need to have that. Mm-hmm. More of us need to stick together more than ever to to be able to motivate, to be able to uh, f- fulfill that desire to to be able to do whatever needs to get done to move ourselves artistically and and keep us sane mentally. Right. So let let me ask you um, with with talking about immigration and, and everything within our community, um, what do you think that the Latino population is missing out on? Uh, within your ward, especially you being a representative of the the mass majority of Latinos within your ward, do you feel like there's an uh, there's a missed opportunity within immigration? I mean, within immigration, I think that we just we need to hear more from 
the advocates. And I mean, I think they're they're working their tails off. They're trying to talk to people. They're trying to help out. I think, and I just think it's like not unique to this community, but unique to everywhere. It's just a matter of like, you know, how can we like want to make sure we trust the people, like the people that are coming in. So I think it's a matter of just like continuing to work to help advocates be able to connect to the people who need it and who are like, you know, who are having issues with like, you know, with visas, with uh, mm-hmm. with being able to try to get transfer their green card into citizenship or like even just getting a green card, things right. like that. So just being able to connect folks to those resources are is something that we'd like to you know continue to work on. Um, and I think speaking on resources, like one of the big things that's being pushed right now that I tell everybody is like filling out the census mm-hmm. and like making sure that everyone feels does their like does what they can to fill out the census because that will also help like with just resources at large. Like when federal funding is being distributed, they look at the demographics of the district of your area. So making sure everyone like can fill out their census is an important plug. So. For a for a Latino that's tuned in right now, and, and guys, you're tuned into First Gen American. I'm your host, Oscar Velasquez. We have our guest, Manny Espitia, and my co-host, Manny Ramirez from Positive Street Art. I um, show you all the R's. You, uh, being able to connect and, you know, with our community, for somebody that's listening in and saying, well, what is a census? <laughs> what, what would you? Essential. Essential. Uh, yeah. What is, what is that? But it's, I mean, it's just a, a simple form that basically we do it every 10 years. We, we're, we're looking to count people and we're looking at like making sure, you know, how many people live in your house? Like what's your average household income? Some basic demographic questions mm-hmm. that, you know, can't like not, that can't be led back to you, but it's basically a way for you to be counted in your community. Um, like I said, we do it every every 10 years. Um, this year, it's um, it's happening. It's going to end, I believe, in September. So, like, we as a people need to make sure we get heard and then we get counted because we typically don't get counted because, you know. And, uh, and then typically what they do, especially in War 4, is, like, they'll, pe- they'll send people who will knock on their door and help mm-hmm. try to fill it out in person because... Um, and like this is like a civics lesson. So like you know, if you're not from here, if you're not born here, and like and you don't learn this in like elementary, middle school, or high school, like then you're not gonna know what the census right. like because uh, not I don't, I don't know if, even like, if you're you not know, born here. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt. Even mm-hmm. if you're not born here, or you know uh, you feel like you're not a citizen, mm-hmm. does that census matter? Yes. Okay. So and regardless of. Your, Whether your you're citizenship. citizenship or not, like you need to be counted okay. because like I said, those resources then get tracked to, to larger like funding decisions. So okay. like knowing that we have, for example, a strong Latino presence here in, in like in Nashua will help us let people know that like, you know, we exist, we're here, like, and that we deserve like funding. <laughs> what are other Latino uh, politicians that you look up to? So here in New Hampshire, we have, there's a few of us. Um, so Israel Piedra, he represents Manchester Ward too. He's an attorney who actually worked on the street. Of, um, but he um, he's a good dude too. He's also, um, he's from originally from Milford, but he's another representative. And there's really just two of us yeah. uh, in the 400 person state house. So just letting y'all know mm-hmm. um, that we need more. So there's more opportunity. There's way more opportunity. Okay. Um, I know that, uh, and then my friend Maria Perez, who's running over in Milford as well. But um, we, like, nationally, like, obviously, I work for Julian Castro. Oh, I don't, I don't think we mentioned, but I work for Julian Castro. Mm-hmm. So he's somebody who I look up to as a young, uh, especially Mexican-American leader who was a mayor of one of the largest cities in the country and was the secretary of housing and urban development. So I obviously, like, he's like a mentor to me, somebody who I like and, like, I got like one of those people. I'm like, I want to be like you when I grow up. So it's <laughs> oh, awesome, man. That's mm-hmm. admirable. As you know, we're all going through a global pandemic. How do you feel as a community, as a Latino community that we're dealing with this pandemic? So we like when all this started, um, I was very lucky. I could quote unquote work from home about I saw a study that said about 60% of Latinos in our country work in jobs that are not work from home a bowl. We are typically the essential workers. We are the people who have to work in the restaurants, in the warehouses, as delivery drivers, 
as those people who like continue the day to day, like the cleaners, the people who have to wipe down everything, um, like those people, those jobs that were considered, you know, dirty, less than like those are now, quote unquote, essential. Um, so and like, you know, we're doing these jobs and some most of the time we're not given the like equipment to do those jobs. The PPE, for example, the. Uh, the personal protective equipment to actually get like to be safe while we're doing it. So in turn, this is making us get COVID at higher rates than other people. And so there's that. There's the second one that's like, you know, we're doing these hazardous jobs. We're not getting hazard pay. Um, you're not getting two to three dollars more an hour. Like it's still this. Like it's like you're working a regular job. I'm like, this is these aren't regular times. Right. Like these people are the only people out there working. So. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the other big issue. And so, and then if you do get sick, you don't have the benefit of sick time most of the time. So you Mm -hmm. don't get to go call out and go to the doctor, Mm -hmm. like without it having a big bill. So, you know, I think the COVID has hit us at a much harder rate than anyone else. Um, and I think we need to stand, like stand for our essential workers and not just say thank you and clap or whatever, we need to like go and get them the legislation of raising their wages, of protecting their benefits, and making sure that they're safe in their work. So that's low key. One of the things I'm running for are those issues. <laughs> Man, I hope you get into that position because yeah. you're saying everything that hits home for everybody. Um, do you feel like they could be another? Do you feel like they could be a Latino president within the next ten or twenty years? I mean, man, I hope so. <laughs> I would really hope so. I mean, we have like, you know, we have some pretty amazing stars. Like I said, Julian was great and he ran. Um, I mean, I, a lot of people love Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez out of the Bronx and Queens. Um, I think we have some really good people with uh, Catherine Cortez Masto out of Nevada. And um, so and these are Democrats I'm talking about. There are other there's also like Republican officials who are. Um, I mean, Marco Rubio ran for, for Senate and is a Cuban-American. So like there are. There are people out there that could, like, you know, I'm hoping that within the next 10 to 20 years, we do see a Latino and get that representation um, because we are becoming one of the strongest voting blocks in the country. So deserve to see some representation. <laughs> Absolutely. So what's next for Manny? Um, me, I'm just going to continue, hopefully get reelected. So um, if you live in War 4, I hope you support me. Um, but, um, you know, I want to continue just to be as helpful as I can be to the community. I'm like, you know. I'm not aspiring to be the president. I'm just aspiring to help people out here and like, you know, whatever y'all need, I'm 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 here for the will of the voters. So you, you know what they say? Mm-hmm. You gotta act locally to impact globally. Yeah. And you're on your way, my brother. You are on your way. I appreciate that. So plug in what's next for you, what you're doing, where they can reach mm-hmm. you at. So for me, uh if you wanna reach me, you know, Facebook.com slash Manny for NH. Um, and that goes for also Twitter. So Manny for NH. Um, and, you know, I and you can always reach me on my email, Manny for NH at, at Gmail dot com. Notice the pattern. Uh, <laughs> but I also, you know, I work for an organization called Run for Something. Um, we support 18 to 40 year olds running for local and state office. So if you're a Democrat, you're running um, for local or state office, like from school board all the way up to state Senate. Check us out at runforsomething.net. Um yeah, I'm excited. September 8th, go out and vote. Absolutely. And November 3rd. <laughs> I want to give a special thanks to Manny Spedia. Amazing story, amazing guy. Check him out. Follow him on all his social media platforms if you have any questions. This was your first episode of First Gen American. I'm your host, Oscar Velasquez. Thank you for listening. And uh, see you soon. <laughs>